Welcome to episode 136 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilow, and it is a pleasure to be spending this time with you. If you sometimes feel a little lost when it comes to business development and sales, this episode is going to give you hope. We're going to move straight into that conversation. And after the interview, stick around because I'm going to offer a quick update um, since the last episode and share a little bit of advice on navigating change. After studying the science of selling for nearly a decade, leading sales trainer, researcher, and CEO of Hoffeld Group, David Hoffeld, developed a revolutionary sales approach based on neuroscience, social psychology, and behavioral economics that has been proven to dramatically increase sales. A sought-after sales thought leader and speaker, David works with companies showing them how to align their sales behaviors with how the brain naturally forms buying decisions. Because of the results his insights generate, David has been featured in Fortune, U.S. News & World Report, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, CBS Radio, Fox News Radio, and more. He is the author of the new book, The Science of Selling, published by Penguin Random House. You can read more about David and how to connect with him, as well as find links to his Introvert Island book selections in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash podcast. Hi, David. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I am looking forward to talking with you about the science of selling today. Thanks, Beth. Great to be here. Well, what is making you smile today? You know, today is the launch of my new book, The Science of Selling, so I am smiling ear to ear. I am having a great day. Yeah, that's a, it's an awesome, it's a, it's a birthday, isn't it? <laughs> it's, yes. it's a great yeah, day. Yeah, it feels like it too. It feels like it, yeah. Well, I like to give my listeners some, some context as we jump into our conversation about sales, and they're always curious about where my guests fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum and how that awareness has influenced them professionally. So where do you feel like you fall, and what's the influence? that it's had? Yeah, I fall directly in the middle. I am what you call an ambivert, mm -hmm. so I'm not an introvert or not an extrovert. I'm kind of right smack in the middle. And, you know, it has influenced me because it has allowed me to, there's definitely areas, no matter where you fall in the spectrum, there's things that you have weaknesses in and strengths in. That personality kind of mm -hmm. guides you in one area and kind of away from another. And sometimes those are good. Sometimes you, you want to work on some things. And it's you know, it's allowed me sometimes to catch myself not being outgoing enough or sometimes to pull back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so it guides me. I know where my starting point is, and I can kind of gauge myself accordingly then. Yeah, great. And I imagine in sales, from what I've read, that is a huge asset. So what can you tell us? And, and I would ask this based both on your research and maybe your own personal experience that sales avoidant introverts can take comfort in? Like, what's the good news when it comes to being a good salesperson? Yes, there is great news for all of us, introverts, extroverts, it doesn't matter. The great news is sales is a learnable skill. Regardless of your starting point, regardless of your comfort level, anyone can become good at sales. And here's how we know that. We know there's a science behind it. There has been decades now of research in numerous scientific disciplines like from behavioral science to neuroscience, cognitive psychology. And we now know the specific behaviors that create and enable buying decisions. And so armed with this science, we can really improve 
any salesperson's performance and improve them regardless of their starting point, we can always help them get to the next level. Yeah, so great salespeople aren't necessarily born, they're made. That's exactly right. There's an overwhelming amount of research that shows exactly that. Some of us have more natural ability than others, or we've modeled people mm -hmm. we've seen growing up, and so sales comes easier at first, but no matter where you start, if people have what we call a growth mindset, which is we believe that our sales mm -hmm. skills are like a muscle that continually must be developed. If you embrace that idea and you learn and you practice, you'll always get better. And someone who's not as naturally gifted will surpass someone who is naturally gifted but stops working. So they get kind of seduced by their own personality or competency and they stop. Mm. Whereas top mm -hmm. performers never stop. They say, how do I get better? What do I have to learn? What do I have to develop? What skill for me to go to the next level in my sales ability? And those people I have seen, extreme extroverts and even extreme introverts, uh, become top performers mm -hmm. by adopting that philosophy and kind of molding themselves into a great salesperson. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of funny. It occurs to me that it, every person who's a salesperson is also a buyer. You know, it's impossible to just mm. be one or the other, right? Um, yes. And yet, sometimes it, when we're on the sales side, we forget what it's how people make decisions, like how we make decisions about buying. So what have you learned? What yeah. does neuroscience tell us about the sales process, specifically when it comes to how people make decisions about buying? It's a great question because it tells us so much. In fact, it, it, it reveals how we make buying decisions and the specific factors that influence whether we choose one way or another. And for example, we know that emotions matter a lot in the decision-making process. There's overwhelming amounts of evidence for that. And we know how to engage people in ethical and engage them on an emotional level. We also know that there are certain commitments that our brains must make, certain small strategic commitments, that if we don't make them, we're never, we're not able, our brains cannot say yes at the end of the sale. Mm -hmm. And so we now know so much from neuroscience. It has just changed the game. Some of the astounding research that's happened in the last decade or two in neuroscience has given us so much information into how our brains are work, how we're influenced, and how we create these buying decisions. And when anyone begins to leverage that, they instantly become more effective, and they're also able to better serve their potential customers because they can align how they sell with how their brains are wired to be influenced and make buying decisions. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, making commitments. Can you? Would you mind giving an example or two of like what kind of commitment a buyer is making um, during that process? Absolutely. Yeah. In my book, we talk about this in in detail. What the commitments are, and then also how do you get them, and what happens if someone mm -hmm. won't commit. But real quickly, what a few of them are. We found that there were six specific commitments that must be made on every sales call, regardless of the type of sale, that these enable our brains to say yes at the end. The foundational one is a commitment to change. Someone has to say yes, and we call it the six whys, and all the, the commitments begin with the word why, and the first one is why change. What we found is this is often where sales stop. They never get off the ground because until people see the need for change, Everything you or I tell them about our company, our product, or service is irrelevant. We're trying to solve a problem they don't think they have. Mm -hmm. And so we have to disrupt and show them that it's in their best interest to change. How do we do that? The best way I've found is by interrupting them with insights. We want to break through what we call a status quo bias, which means 
our brains instinctively have a lot of risk we associate with making a change. It's, it's a big thing to change, and what if we make a bad decision? So we'll, we'll always default to doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And anyone in sales knows this. We've all lost more business to nothing <laughs> than to someone. Yeah. And so we need to disrupt that and help people see the need for change by giving them relevant insights that allow them to see that change is an imperative and it's more risky not to change than to actually move forward and change. Yeah, absolutely. And um, sometimes it's like, you know, you have to feel the pain so badly that, you know, and sometimes you, you don't, yes. that the salesperson is a partner, perhaps, on what I'm hearing, and in sort of shining the light on that piece. We are participants, perhaps, in that emotional connection. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's one thing that great salespeople, it's not a manipulative endeavor. Because in today's mm-hmm. climate, too, with the transparent marketplace we live in, if salespeople operate in trying to manipulate people, it doesn't work in the long term. Today, it doesn't even work in the short term. People mm-hmm. can smell that. They don't like it. Trust goes down. And you're not in business very long. So it's partnering with your potential customers and guiding them in doing things that are in their best interest. Because if it's not in their best interest, it's ultimately not in errors either. Exactly. Exactly. We go back to that cliche, it's got to be a win-win, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, introverts tend to be really good with, um, we tend to be curious people. Um, and I think it's partly because we like to get other people talking so that we don't have to talk. <laughs> um, and so I think of questions as being a really powerful way to move someone through a sales process process to move them from being a prospect to a paying customer. And I know that you talk about questions um, as being a tool in the book. Um, How do we know what kinds of questions to ask to move someone along in that process? That's a great question. And you're exactly right. This is an area where introverts have an advantage because they are focused on others, right? They want to draw out information almost Mm -hmm. instinctively. And that is very important in selling. In fact, many times we think the best salesperson is the, the fastest talker or someone who, you know, has the gift of gab. Mm-hmm. Reality is, no, the best salespeople always are focused on the customers. And before they ever talk about themselves, they always find out about the customer. And then when they talk about themselves, they show the customer how with their product or service will meet their needs. So to your question, you're exactly right. Questions matter so much in selling. In the book, we talk about two things regarding questions that's very important. What areas we need to find out. So oftentimes in sales, we talk about listening. And usually it's motivational speeches, like we say, mm-hmm. listen more, or God gave you two ears and one mouth, mm-hmm. you need to listen twice as much as you talk. <laughs> and we say, well, that's, that's true, you have two ears and one mouth. But I think when it comes to listening, the bigger question is not, should I listen? Of course, we all know that, and you should. The bigger question, though, is what am I listening for? Because once I know that, I'm able not just to listen, but to listen with purpose, to really help my customer. And so we talk about things we call primary buying motivators. These are why people purchase. So the commitments are how. The why is these motivators that matter, like my problem or my buying requirements. You know, what do I want in a product or service? What's my time frame? What's my financial situation. There's these, all these factors we've identified that you need to listen for. And the way you can do that is by asking great questions. And we have a model of questioning that's literally based on how the brain discloses information. It's very easy to learn. 
And the neat thing about it is it allows you to ask high-gain follow-up questions with ease. By We have a, a levels of questions, mm-hmm. we say. And so it's very instinctive. I can teach, usually it takes about an hour to teach a salesperson how to utilize it almost to an expert level. It's really neat to see. Cool. What, what I'm loving about your book is that um, you are providing those really concrete examples because so often we can get so wrapped up in like, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to ask? And what I'm hearing partly is that there is a science behind that, that um, there are some certain basic questions that we can have in our back pocket, you know, ready to go. And that there's an invitation to, um, once you get going on that, to really listen and let the customer guide you in what's next, which kind of relieves some of that pressure of, I have to have this perfect script through the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, and the scripts don't work, unfortunately, because our mm-hmm. potential customer doesn't have a copy of it. If they did, if they knew their exactly. lines, it would be great. It'd be great. Um, yeah, every sale would be made yes, easily. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so scripts don't work in the real world, so we have to be able to adapt. And you bring up a very relevant point when it comes to questions, and that is, you have a dilemma a lot of times people do when they, when they embrace these really complex and counter-instinctive uh, methodologies of asking questions, and that is you have to either think about the question or listen to your potential customer, mm-hmm. and you have to choose, and uh, that's a bad choice. So what we try to give people is a questioning model that's instinctive. It's how our brains are wired to give information, so it's easy to learn. You don't have to contemplate it too much, and so, for example, I can focus then entirely on my customer, and I don't have to worry about what my line is supposed to be because I'm able to do that. So, for example, if I'm asking you questions, I'm going to ask a first-level question, which is about a thought or fact, behavior, or situation, and then I'm going to ask a second-level question, and this level is where great salespeople live. It's very simple. I'm asking you to either assess something or explain. Assess or explain. Mm. So I keep that model in my mind, and it's astounding how easy it is to use this in the real world within about an hour. I mean, it's very – because it's how your brains are already wired to disclose information. And so we just align how we sell with that. It makes it easy to execute and very effective. Well, I'd love to leave listeners with a few tips um, about another aspect that you talk about, which is connecting with people and appealing to them on an emotional level. What tips do you have for us about how to authentically, to go back to your point before about how we can kind of smell manipulation a mile away, how can we authentically connect on an emotional and meaningful level? Yeah, and there are so many ways, and we share so many in the book. What I want to share with you that's extremely important, but often we, we have a hard time executing it, is there's something called a likability bias, the research shows, meaning we're more likely to listen to ideas or buy from someone that we like. Mm -hmm. Now, there are certain other things that matter, too, but likability matters so much. Just a ridiculous amount of research that verifies that. In fact, people that aren't liked are very difficult. They have a hard time in sales. They have a hard time in leadership. They have a hard time in life, really. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how do you get people to like you? And what the research finds is sometimes counterintuitive especially right here, because what the research shows is the best way to get someone to like you, numerous studies have found, is to first like them. Here's yeah. why. Yeah. As, I'm, as I'm engaging with you, what I want to do is think about some things I like about you. It could be the company you work for, you know, the conversation we're having, uh, your coat, whatever it is. And I don't even have to say these. I just focus on them in my mind. 
that instinctively changes how I interact with you. It's very hard to not build rapport with someone and trust if you like them, right? And what happens is the research shows people respond in kind. When someone acts like they like you, we instantly think more highly of them. For example, if right now you picture in your mind someone who you really don't care for, mm-hmm. and now that you've pictured that person, imagine that you found out later today that that person said something extremely positive about you. Mm-hmm. Instantly, you like him or her more than you did just before you found out the information. So we like people that like us instinctively. It's very hard to not like someone who is wild about you. <laughs> and so. That's true. We, ad- we adopt that. So what I tell salespeople is don't try to manipulate people into liking you. No, you like them. That'll change the interaction, and people respond in kind. So look for something you genuinely like. Sometimes this is easy. Eh, some people, it might be a little more challenging. Mm-hmm. But we can always, if we look, we can find something. Focus on that. It'll change the interaction, and you'll be amazed. It's an easy, non-manipulative way to build high levels of rapport very quickly. And it seems that it, it um, under underlines and underscores the point about if, you know, depending on, and one hopes you have a great deal of choice about who your customers are and who you want to work with and who your ideal client or customer is, and that you make sure it's somebody you like, that you have that potential to like. It's not driven by arbitrary factors around, you know, economic status or, you know, other things that can be much more, um, you know, I look at it as sometimes kind of fear driven, that it's much more about, you know, who do I genuinely enjoy being around and working with? Because then it seems like that particular piece is going to come across Mm. much more authentically. And even if you have to work a little bit to build that bridge, it's not going to be as, as challenging as if, your market is one that you are only pursuing or getting behind because of certain superficial factors. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What the science also shows, though, is even when we do have difficult customers sometimes, when you can leverage some of these principles in your favor, it can change the interaction. Because oftentimes the context Mm -hmm. of the interaction, and people respond so much to us as, as salespeople. So oftentimes when we shift our behaviors, people will often respond in kind. There's all kind of strategies we talk about in the book, ways to do that. So you, when, when you're in a difficult situation, what do you do? Yeah. And sometimes you, you kind of have to be in them. So how can you make it more productive? And there's all kind of ways we can engage people on an emotional level, for example. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of guide them. If someone's in what we call it a negative emotional state, mm-hmm. meaning they're experiencing negative emotions, they're in a bad mood. What some really, one tip is that the research shows, it's really fascinating, and this was what I found this in the study numerous years ago. I was just like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And that is the person with the most expressive emotional state wins. Mm-hmm. So emotional states, when they clash, they absorb. So, for example, when all of us, let's say there's people we know in our lives, when we go around them, they're always really negative. And when you walk away, you, don't, you feel worse than you did before you met with them. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, people that are really positive, you feel better after you meet with them. Why? Their emotional state infects us. Researchers call it emotional cognition. So the tip is when you're in an environment where someone is negative and they're just not responding well to you, be overly friendly, right? Go the opposite way. Mm -hmm. The strongest emotional state wins, the research shows. And oftentimes what you'll see is almost like a magic trick in front of your eyes. (laughs) They'll start to adopt your emotional state because the research shows the one that's strongest is the one that infects the others. Nice. 
Yeah, great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for all of this um, really valuable information. I highly recommend um, listeners get your book, and I'll make sure that there's a link to it in the um, program show notes um, so people can follow up, because I think you've got a lot of great uh, tips for us here. I want to close really quickly with a question I ask all of my guests. And I have a sense that after this book launch, after the whirlwind, you're going to need a little vacation. <laughs> so I'm, I'm waving a magic wand and granting you a free three-week vacation on Introvert Island. Mm. And you can only take three books with you. What would you take with you, and why? Oh, that that does sound nice right about now. Actually, that three week thing <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. I would take. You know, I just got a book I haven't had a chance to read yet um, called Persuasion from Robert Cialdini, who's a well-known social psychologist. Um, it's his first book since um, in like thirty years, and uh, I have that on my desk here. I would take that with me. I would probably. Just because I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid right now, I'd probably take my own book um, <laughs> and, and just look at it again. And I would take a journal. Uh, I would take a journal that I could jot down some stuff and just sit and think and reflect and probably plan, the, you know, a little bit and just uh, yeah, stop the busyness and stop the chaos for a little bit and just jot some things down. Awesome. Great. Well, how can people get in touch with you and um, and buy your book? Yeah, they can get in touch with me through my website, Huffeld, H-O-F-F-E-L-D, group.com. All kind of great resources on there as well. Articles, blogs, white papers, videos. People can learn about science-based selling and how to influence others with these research-backed ideas. And then the book is available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I think Walmart even has it. So anywhere you like to buy books, there's the audio book, the Kindle, and of course, the hardback cover as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. Um, I almost want to go out and start selling right now. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I said almost. <laughs> but I think I'm going to spend more time with your book and, uh, and then build my confidence. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time. And again, congratulations on the, the publication of The Science of Selling. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure to talk with you today. I hope you found some encouragement in that conversation. Remember, the ability to sell is just that, an ability. It's not a gift that you either have or you don't. Some of you might recall the podcast interview I did with my husband over the summer. He's an introvert, and he talks about being the executive director of a nonprofit and his experiences as a fundraiser, which are not that different than ours as entrepreneurs. Just the other day, in a meeting I got to be part of with him, he stated with confidence, I love fundraising. That's not something you hear very often, but I know him, and I know he learned fundraising. He had the people skills, so he just learned the techniques and strategies and layered them on top of his ability to connect with people one-on-one. -on -one. And you can do the same. Consider whatever people skills you already have and build on them with research like what David has provided in his book. It's really in any of us to be great at sales. If you heard episode 135, you know I talked about finding the value in your voice when you've lived what's a comparatively low-key life. And specifically, I talked about being untraumatized. And since writing that, I have experienced what I can only call a traumatic week. Actually, in thinking about it, it's been something of a traumatic year. Processing all of the events happening in the United States with our election cycle has zapped my energy in ways I didn't appreciate until it was over. I was glued to the news and social media. 
You could almost say that I was addicted. I felt the energy drain while it was happening, but contrary to the advice that I often give, I ignored that drain. And this week, and I'm sharing this on um, November 15th, 2016, I decided that I can no longer ignore it. There's too much change happening. And in order to keep up and stay sane, it's important to get back to managing my energy from a place that puts me and my needs front and center, instead of what's happening with everyone else in far-flung places. It's not that others' needs aren't important. It's just that the only way I can have the energy for others is if I focus some energy on myself. It goes back to that often cited airline mandate to put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. I've been putting the oxygen mask on everyone else except for myself, and now it's time to turn it the other way. And maybe you're feeling that same way. Something in your life is changing, and you need the resources to be able to deal with it. Here are three quick thoughts that I offer for your consideration. First, reduce external inputs, especially emotionally charged ones. Notice what's in your environment that's distracting or draining. For me, it's been the news. After a steady media binge for the last 18 months, it's time for a release. That release has made space for me to process on my own and figure out what's most important to me. That space makes the changes less overwhelming. Second, listen before responding. On the surface, change might seem to be technical in nature. Instead of doing this, we're going to do that. We can lead with dispassionate facts and build on them. That said, if we listen before acting, we learn about the emotional side of the situation, and that might change how we act. Tap into your introvert superpower of listening before speaking. This slows down the pace of change and makes the change and your response to it more intentional. And finally, and this one is probably the most challenging point, It's to act as if you chose whatever the change is. In other words, accept reality. This comes from Eckhart Tolle and his book, The Power of Now. In that book, he invites us to reframe any situation that we're in as a choice. That's easily done when it's something that is of little consequence, such as what to have for dinner. You might be going out and you might say, oh, the Japanese restaurant that I wanted to eat at is closed on Mondays and the only other choice is Mexican. Okay, I choose Mexican. It's like you're saying I chose the Mexican restaurant as if almost the Japanese restaurant wasn't even a choice. And it gets trickier when the situation is threatening, such as getting into an accident or the loss of a relationship. How do we say I chose to total my car? I chose to get this injury. I'm not sure yet, honestly. I, I, I'm, I haven't quite gotten my head around how I can say I chose something that very few of us would intentionally choose. And it's easy to dismiss such an acceptance as a cheesy looking for the silver lining moment. But I believe it goes deeper than that. It's about looking for the lessons and the learning. We're not saying, I'm happy I totaled my car. We're saying, it is what it is, so what am I going to do about it? 
And this is not an easy response to change. It's one that takes a lifetime to process and practice. It's reminding us that we have choices and that at a fundamental level, it's the choice to accept the change that's happened or the choice not to accept it. To not accept it will inevitably bring suffering and heartbreak. So what's left is to accept it and then work to improve on it. Before I sign off, a quick reminder that the new year is fast approaching, and that is a fantastic time to inject more action and accountability into your business, no matter if you're in the middle of overwhelming challenges and change or amazing opportunities. I've added times to my online calendar to make it easy to schedule a time to chat with me about personal coaching. You'll find that link on my website, theintrovertentrepreneur.com. A very special thank you to Paul Messing, my fearless podcast producer, and to my assistant, Naja, who provides excellent show notes. You can find those show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash podcast. And thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope you found that it was time well spent. If you did, would you do me the honor of leaving a review on iTunes or sharing this episode with your colleagues? I would really appreciate your consideration and your time. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.